0: Good morning. I am from Arkansas. That is here. And, uh, you know, growing up, I became a Christ follower in high school, and I was like, what is it that you do as a Christ follower? And I realized, like, every Christ follower that I met, they all did a few things. They all listened to Christian music. They all wore Christian t-shirts. And they all put one of those uh, Jesus fish on the back of their car. So I put one on the front and back and uh, never got a ticket. And really, my goal was to make my whole life Christian. Like, I wanted to Christianize my whole life. I wanted to date a Christian, drive a Christian car, drink Christian coffee, own a Christian pet. Like, I just wanted my my whole life to be Christian. And I remember um, I'm walking across campus my freshman year of college, and this guy stops me. Never seen him before, and he says, what's your name? And I said, Todd. And he said, are you a Christian? And I showed him my shirt. And... um, I remember he invited me to this Bible study. And at the Bible study, I thought we were gonna like open up to Ephesians and talk about me. But instead, he laid out this map of the world and he said, Todd, pick a country, we're gonna pray for it. And so I said, America. And he said, pick somewhere further away. So I said, Canada. And he said, no, pick somewhere really far away. And I looked at the center of the map and the largest country that caught my attention was Saudi Arabia. And so I began to pray for Saudi Arabia. And after I prayed, he said, come back next week and tell me how many Muslims, how many mosques, how many Christians, how many churches are in Saudi Arabia. And so I began to research this incredible country, and after seven weeks, I felt like God wanted me to move there, posing a problem. I'm like, no, Lord, like, are you kidding me? I'm studying elementary education. I'm going to be a third grade teacher. Like, I don't own a passport. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't even wear Toms. I'm so far removed from like anything missional. Like, no. And it was kind of in that moment that he began to challenge me with this idea of, I'm not interested in you Christianizing your life. I'm interested in you crucifying your life. I'm not interested in you looking the part, acting the part, and dressing the part, but I'm, I'm interested in you playing a part. And I think for me, as a white, wealthy Westerner, that was very difficult. That was very difficult. And the more I begin to read this Bible, the more I begin to realize, man, the question is not where is missions, the question is really, where is it not? Everything we read, every story in this book funnels into the global mission of God, to see all peoples, nations, men of every tribe, tongue, and language come to know him. And so this morning, I just want to look at the mission of God. And as we do, ask the question, are you on board? Are you playing a part? Are you playing a part? The mission of God begins on page one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 28. It says this, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Two people on the planet, Adam and Eve, and God says, fill the earth. I want you to populate physically, but this is a spiritual command also to fill the earth. Well, if you grew up in church, you know that in Genesis chapter three, man sins. In Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says, every thought of man is evil. Chapter 7 and 8, God floods the earth. Chapter 9, one family comes off the ark, and it is the same command as Genesis 1.28. Listen to this. Genesis 9.1, and God blessed Noah and said to them, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. So as I'm reading, I'm asking the question, does God get the earth filled? Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. It's important to know that no matter where you went on planet earth, as of this time, there was one language, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered on the face of the whole earth. So the Lord sees this. He sees their disobedience. And in the next verse, he comes down and he confuses their language. He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language, verse 7 and 8. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis chapter 11 is a pivotal point in Scripture. Genesis chapter 11 is where we get all the different languages on planet Earth. This is where we get French, Mandarin, Spanish, rap. It all comes from right here in Genesis chapter 11. Now, every book you read has three central elements to it. Every book you read has an introduction, a plot, and a conclusion. The introduction creates tension, sets up the main characters. The plot tries to solve that, which is ultimately resolved in the conclusion. This is not just 66 separate books written on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years. This is one book with an introduction, a plot, and a conclusion. The introduction is from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11. This is the introduction. This is the introduction. Genesis 11 concludes the introduction. And if you had no knowledge of the Bible and you read Genesis 11 and you're like, wait a minute, he scattered the nations all over the earth is God going to bring them back under his worship and glory as you finish Genesis chapter 11 you have this uh oh moment what's God going to do and the response to God answering the question of what's he going to do that he scattered the nations all you got to do is turn the page turn the page to Genesis chapter 12 Genesis chapter 12 is where God's mission begins. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curse you, will curse. But Abram, the reason I'm doing this is not for you. I'm doing this so that all peoples that I previously scattered will be blessed. All peoples on earth, I'm going after them. I was a Christ follower for a decade before I realized the importance of Genesis chapter 12. I had no idea the importance of Genesis chapter 12 for the first 10 years of my spirituality. Get used to hearing God say this. He's only going to repeat it 1,600 more times that all peoples will be blessed through him. The leading scholar of all of Christians in Europe who died a few years ago, John Stott, was asked this question. What's the most important passage in all the Bible? Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He says the whole of God's purpose is encapsulated there. The mission of God begins in Genesis 12. I call Genesis 12 the Abrahamic Revolution. The domino tips in Genesis 12. And it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus to the early church to us. But the mission begins in Genesis 12. And look at verse 4. Abram left as the Lord told him. Abram left. Genesis 26 verse 4. Isaac, just like your father Abram, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands to your offspring, all nations. There it is again. We'll be blessed. Genesis 28. Jacob, just like your father, Isaac, and his father, Abram, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and it will spread out to the west and the east and north and the south. Why? Here it is again. We're not even out of Genesis yet. All nations, all nations, that's what I'm going for. All nations on earth, all peoples, we bless through you. So a friend of mine graduated from K-State University and I was asking him, I was like, man, tell me a story in college. And he's like, man, in Manhattan, Kansas, at K-State University, we didn't have much, but we had our football. He said, some of my favorite times was road tripping to away football games. He said, one time, five of my friends texted me and said, be out front in 10. I packed a bag, ran downstairs to the dorms. They wheeled around their SUV. I jumped in. We drove 10 hours from Manhattan, Kansas to Dallas, Texas to watch our team play in an away football game. He said, when I got to the game, unbeknownst to me, they pulled out the luggage. And behind the luggage was eight cans of purple wall paint. And my friend said, men suit up. I realized he wanted us to paint our bodies purple. I told him we could die of skin poisoning, but we all realized it was worth it. He said, Todd, head to toe, we painted our bodies purple, head to toe. He said, do you know what word the six of us painted on our chest? I'm like, what? Hey, mom. Hi, ESPN. He said, no, the six of us painted one word on our chest. Family. I said, family? Why family? He said, because at K-State University, when you come in as a freshman, they say you're not a student, you're a part of a family. The football stadium at K-State University is called Family Stadium. He said, Todd, third quarter, with a minute left, we were down by 41. He's like, I'm banging on the bleachers. I'm yelling at the refs. He's like, I have this epiphany. He says, I realize I'm in desperate need of exercise and our team's in desperate need of rest, but I can't get in the game because I'm painted in purple with an F on my chest wearing a kilt. I said, man, Andrew, I think you've just succinctly summarized American Christianity. I think you just succinctly summarized American Christianity. We're in the family, but we're not in the game. Oh, I'm a Christ follower. I don't celebrate Halloween. I go to small group. But when it comes to engaging God's mission to reach the nations, sorry, Lord, I can't. Not now. Not for me. I'm for it, but it's not for me. I'm sorry. We're in the family, but we're not engaged in God's mission. And over and over again, all these Old Testament stories point to the mission of God. I mean, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses says this, I have taught thee these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded. Observe them carefully, for this will show your understanding to the nations. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amalekites are watching you. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, they will say. Or what about this one? Exodus chapter 9. Why did God raise up Pharaoh? i raise raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Or what about this one? First Kings 10. Why did God give Solomon wisdom? King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience. The whole world sought audience of Solomon. The Queen of Sheba travels 1200 miles to visit him from Yemen. And Solomon says, fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come up out of the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter in Daniel chapter 4, and look at who he addresses it to. To the peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world. What God began in Genesis 12, he's going to bring to completion. We just have to ask the question, are we on board? Are we on board? And... Arkansas, we have these things. I don't know if they have them here, but in Arkansas we have these things. They're called Christian bookstores, and they're amazing. They're like the size of Walmart, but you have to be a Christian to go in. And um, you can get some incredible stuff at Christian bookstores. You can get Christian plants, Christian printers, Christian paper. Um, but we were walking around, and, and I came across this Christian picture, and I was like, I told my wife it had my favorite verse on it: uh, "Be still and know that I am God." And I was like, This is amazing. Yeah, you know, I was like, "This is incredible," and 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 I told my wife, "I was like, I want this picture." I mean, it was like deer, stream, tackle box, fisherman, Sunrising, and underneath, in ninety-eight font gold calligraphy, my favorite Old Testament verse: "Be still and know that I'm God." Dot dot dot. And you know, again, I've heard this verse my whole life, but. I just, i never noticed the dot, dot, dot. And, you know, as a third grade teacher, I'm very aware that a dot, dot, dot means, hey, second half doesn't apply to you. Don't worry about it. Don't waste your time. And so I was like, man, how bad is the second half of Psalm 4610 that you never hear it? I was like, what does it say? Be still and know that I'm God. And Judas found a rope and hung himself. I mean, how bad is the second half that you never hear it? So I went to the Bible section. I grabbed a Bible. I opened up to Psalm 4610. And I realized, as you heard the first worship, the whole verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And I just sat there looking at Psalm 4610 incredibly convicted. Because can I tell you how I read the Bible? Where Where am I? 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 I highlight, memorize, and underline blessings for me. I just told my wife, I said, Jess, I need intervention. I said, man, I'm going to buy a new new, a new Bible, a Bible, a yellow highlighter. I'm going to take four months, 10 chapters a day. You can read the whole Bible through, but I'm only going to highlight verses if it has any of these words, all peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. That's all I'm looking for. I'm going to train my eyes, all peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages, all peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages, all peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. All peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. All peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. All peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues. And I get to the end and it took me two and a half highlighters. Not because I let the cap off. But because there's that many verses. So now when someone says, Todd, why are you moving your family to the Middle East? I say, why are you not? And then I slap them. Isaiah 49.6 says this, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob. I'll bring back those of Israel that I have kept them and, and make me light to the nations or Gentiles that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 16, 15, "O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and see our fathers possess nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Zephaniah 2.11, The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in their own land. Malachi 11, are you kidding me? We're still, you almost have to purposely try to avoid it. My name will be great among the nations from the rising and the setting of the sun. Incense and, and offerings will be brought to not my name. Why? Because my name will be great among the nations. The question is not: where is it? Where is it not? I was asked to speak at the largest Christian university in all of Canada. 5,000 students. I was so excited. I was to speak Tuesday morning at chapel, Wednesday morning at chapel, Thursday morning at chapel, and Beth Moore was closing Friday morning at chapel. And so I get to the the college early just to get acclimated, even though it's in the same time zone. And I I get there a day early and I show up Tuesday morning. I meet with the campus minister. I'm like, this is amazing. He's like, yes, 5,000 students. I was like, this is incredible. I said, man, this is a beautiful campus. I said, I'm so excited, I wanna go to the chapel early, make sure the PowerPoint works, make sure I'm I'm mic'd up, make sure everything's great, it meets in the basketball arena. I was like, about how many students are gonna be there? And um, he said, oh, well, Missions Week is the one week we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. I show up and I spoke. Tuesday morning to 190 students, Wednesday morning to 140 students, Thursday morning to 90 students, and I I challenged them to give five years of their life to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world after they graduated, and after every talk, there was a line 10 deep. After every talk, there was a line 10 deep of Canadian students, and each one said the same thing. Please, sir, have me excused. My parents would freak. Please, sir, have me excused. I'm getting a master's. Please sir, have me excused. I, I'm engaged to be married. Please sir, have me excused. I have debt. Please sir, have me excused. I have, I have a two year iPhone contract that I just signed. And, and literally I left there and I flew to Salt Lake City, Utah where I was scheduled to speak at a church that Sunday. I land at Salt Lake City, I get my rental car, I, I, I put in Google Maps where I'm supposed to go, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. And I was like, Temple Street? To where does Temple Street lead? And I realized First and Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. And I was like, I wanna go, I wanna go get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. So I drove to First and Temple, I parked my car, I took a selfie, and right next, right next to the Mormon temple is this huge building made of glass, about the size of this room, three stories tall. And um, it said on the glass, Mormon Welcome Center. I wanna go. I wanna be welcomed by Mormons. So I walk over to the Mormon Welcome Center, I open the door, and I yell, Good Mormon! top of the Mormon to you. And 20 of the most well-dressed, nicest people became, started walking towards me. One girl kind of peeled off, started talking to me. Her name is Veronica. I said, Veronica, how would you wind up here? She said, every Mormon has to give two years of their life after they graduate on mission. And when the letter came of where I was to be stationed, it was the greatest day of my life. I said, what does the letter look like? What does it say? She pulled from her purse the letter. She said, this is the most important thing I own. I drove from Salt Lake City, 45 minutes south, to Provo, Utah, where I was scheduled to speak, at Brigham Young University to a few Christ followers. Brigham Young University is, of course, the largest Mormon university in the world. And as I'm at the stoplight, literally about a mile off of campus, I look over and I see this building, and the sign on the building caught my attention. The Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go to the missionary mall. What sort of amazing things does a person buy at the missionary mall? And as I walk into the missionary mall, I realize the missionary mall is the spot where Mormons take their children before they go on their two-year mission. This is where they buy everything they need for their mission trip, suit, tie, bike helmet. It's all bought at the missionary mall. And all I'm doing in the missionary mall is I'm looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers. And this is the greatest day of their life. To send their child to the nations for the sake of Mormonism is the greatest privilege they could ever have. I left the missionary mall. I got in my car. I opened my journal and I wrote, Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Ask anybody with children this question. Ask anybody with children this question. What countries are you praying that your children would be missionaries to? What countries are you asking God to send them to? You tell me your countries, I'll tell you mine. Instead, your son or daughter has a 0.02% chance of being a missionary to the unreached. Your son or daughter has a 0.02% chance of being a missionary to the unreached. And if by chance your son or daughter decides to be a missionary to the unreached, guess who the first person is to talk him out of it and come against them? And what I realized in my life was that I love God. Make no mistake about it, I love God. But there are a few things that I love just above God, and I'm fine with that. So I love God, I go to church, I tithe, but there's a few things that I love just above God, and I'm fine with that, and every other Christ follower is too. I love my kids more than God, I love my savings more than God, I love my safety more than God, and I love my comfort more than God. I love my kids more than God. I love my savings more than God. I love my comfort more than God. I love my safety more than God. So I give God the opportunity to speak in all these areas of my life. He has full privilege in all these areas. But he knows and I know there's four untouchables. And not only am I okay with that, but no other Christ followers challenge me on it because they have the same love. So I'm fine with that. And I can live a Christian life. I can do good spiritual things, but there's the untouchables that he knows and that I know, my kids, my savings, my comfort, my safety. When you transition to the New Testament, Jesus continues with what he began in Genesis 12. Matter of fact, in Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, Hey, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he answers them in verse 14. Remember Genesis 12. What did I say in Genesis 12 when this gospel of the kingdom, what did I say about Abraham, when all nations are blessed, the end is coming. And then Jesus will give us five great commissions. There's not one great commission text, there's five. The first great commission text is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the first Great Commission text. It's not the only Great Commission text. It is the first Great Commission text. The second Great Commission text is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's the second Great Commission text. It's not the final Great Commission text. It's the second Great Commission text. The third Great Commission text is Luke 24. This is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Luke 24. This is written. Remember Genesis 12. Christ. He says, that's who I am. Will suffer and rise from the dead. That's what I did. Repentance. That's how you should respond. Forgiveness of sins. That's the benefit of responding appropriately. Will be preached to all nations. That's the scope. This is the third Great Commission text. It's not the final Great Commission text. It's the third Great Commission. The fourth Great Commission text is John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says, I was in Trinity, eternity, community when the Father invited me to put on humanity. And as I responded yes, so now he, I am sending you. As I responded yes to obeying God by going to a foreign place, not my own, now I'm sending you. This is the fourth Great Commission text. It's not not all the Great Commission texts. There's actually five. The fifth Great Commission text is Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I ask the question, why five commissionings? One would have been enough. Why five? And Jesus responds by saying, man, is five even enough? Maybe I should have thrown in ten. Because my church is slow to obey even with five. I love God. But man, Lord, this is just not the right age or stage. This is not the right age or stage. If I was in a different, the next, I'm for missions, okay? But just not right now. And do you know who I realize says that? Everybody in every age and every stage. I talked to a thousand high school students. I said, "Go to the nations." They're like, "We can't. Our parents should ground us." Maybe in the next age or stage. I talked to university students. "Go to the nations." Oh man, we can't. We have debt. Maybe in the next age or stage when we pay off our debt. I talked to those who just got married. "Go to the nations." Oh man, you know what? This isn't a really good time right now. Maybe in the next age or stage. My husband and I are just dinking around, double income, no kids, and we're just loving it. I talked to those with kids. "Go to the nations." Oh man, I can't. You know, little Jenny doesn't like malaria. But in the next age or stage, I talked to those who are empty nesters, go to the nations. Oh, you know what? Next age or stage is better because I just became a grandparent. I talked to those that retire, go to the nations. Oh man, sorry. My health. If you'd have caught me at an earlier age or stage though, I would have been interested. The enemy never wants it to be the right age or stage. You are always going to have incredible opportunities other than reaching the nations. That's the enemy's job—is to keep you self-consumed. I think that's why Paul the apostle says this in Romans 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I mean, Paul the apostle was like, "Where's no one going? And I'll volunteer." That's totally different from me. I'm like, where's a Starbucks? And I'll go there. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 12 all the way to Jude is the plot. And the conclusion is found in Revelation 5.9. Revelation 5.9, what God began in Genesis 12, he completes at his throne. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. What God began in Genesis 12, he completes at Revelation 5, 9. Unfortunately, the world doesn't look like this. There's a map of the world called the 1040 window. This is the most unreached parts of the planet are in this box. In this box called the 1040 window, is 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up from the equator, and it stretches clear across the Middle East and Asia. 65 countries, every major unreached people group lives there. Every world religion began in the box, and 88%, 88% of those who live in the box, 88% of those who are born in the box and live in the box and die in the box, 88% will never shake hands with the Christ follower. And if you're a Christ follower, this box is your problem. You can act like it doesn't exist, but if you're a Christ follower, congratulations, you're responsible to reach the box. Now, that might look like you giving sacrificially, welcoming the nations who are here, praying strategically, or going to the box. But everyone who's a Christ follower is responsible to play a part in reaching the box. I want to invite you back at 1230 I know you have a lot going on, but at 1230, we're going to look, we're going to look at three, we're going to do three 45 minute optional sessions. And, and I promise you, if you can come and hear those three sessions, you will leave here this afternoon knowing more about what, is do, what God is doing in the world and how you can play a part. You will know more than any other Christ follower you know about this. And this afternoon will show you how you can play a part. As mentioned, my wife and I have five kids, and she, she said, hey, let's, ha- let's have a six. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, every basketball team needs a sub. And so I said, okay. So we decided to adopt. And um, three months ago, we adopted from China a little boy. He's four and, uh, his birth name is Wei Zhandong, and we changed it to Noble just so that he would sound like our family. And, um, so before we left for China, we took our family of five and my wife and I to a vacation. We thought, let's go on vacation just before craziness happens. And so, I'm at a hotel with my family. I go downstairs by myself to get some coffee in the morning. The waitress comes over, and when you adopt, every conversation for, like, that year, you lead towards adoption. You know, you just can't help talking about it. Oh, we're adopting, and, you know, just you steer the conversation towards adoption. So I'm downstairs having coffee. The waitress comes over. We start talking. Of course, I steer the conversation to adoption. I say, yeah, we're leaving, you know, next week and going, and... and and to China, and, 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 and the waiter, as she's pouring me coffee, the waitress says to me something that startled me. As the waitress is serving me coffee, she asked me a question I was unprepared for. She asked me a question that completely threw me for a loop. I will never forget what she asked me. She said, Does he know you're coming for him? I said, Excuse me, ma'am. She said, Does he know you're coming for him? He has no idea. He has no idea that I have paid $34,000, spent 15 months in endless paperwork, FBI checks, background checks. He has no idea he has five siblings waiting to love him. He has no idea he has a college fund with his name on it. He has no idea that in 21 days he'll be stamped a citizen of this great nation and afforded every right and privilege that this nation offers. He has no idea he has a father. I'm coming for I'm coming for and the heart of this church wants to echo to the 1040 window we're coming for you we're coming for you but to do that they need your involvement and so father we just pray right now that you would grant us the opportunity to be involved whatever that looks like Lord, take those four things that we love so much and put them in their right place under your authority that we might not be distracted and move towards obedience. We ask this in your name. Amen.